If you haven't already done so, you can open your Bibles uh, to uh, the passage that uh, Sam read for us. Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 25. Uh, we are looking at these uh, verses again this morning, this account of uh, Philip's ministry in Samaria. You remember that last Sunday we saw that uh, in response to the, the general persecution that broke out against the church following Stephen's execution, following Stephen's stoning by the Jewish authorities, in response to that persecution, Philip had, had gone into Samaria, but he had not gone into Samaria simply to escape the persecution. He had not gone simply to, to hide there, but rather he went there proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He, he went there proclaiming to them the, the good news of the kingdom and, of the, and the power of the name of Jesus. And we're told that many Samaritans believed his message and were baptized into the name of Jesus. And one of those who believed was this man named Simon. This man who, who Luke tells us was a magician. And it's his story that we want to focus on this morning. We will see first the, the crucial difference between Simon's magic and Philip's miracles. And seeing that difference will then prepare us to see the, the difference between Simon's belief and true faith. And so let's begin with Simon's magic. Luke writes, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. And so this man named Simon, he was, he was someone who had previously practiced magic, and he had done it in a way that amazed the people. In fact, he had done it in a way that allowed him to claim that he was someone great. Such was the, the magic that he did in the uh, eyes of the people. In fact, not only did he claim to be someone great, but we're told that the people thought he was someone great. Luke tells us that they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called Great. Think about what that language means. They, they saw him as the embodiment of the power of God. They, they saw him as, the, as, as God's great power in the flesh. Now, how is it that Simon pulled this off? We, we have to ask that question. What, what are we to make of Simon's magic? Was this, was this merely sleight of hand? Was it, was it an illusion? Was it a trick? Was it all done with, with smoke and mirrors? That's the way we think of magicians today, do we not? We, we can enjoy watching a, a show on, uh, on television, but, but we know it's all tricks. We know it's all illusion. They're making our, our, our minds see something that's not actually there. Is that what we are to make of, of Simon's magic, or was there something more to it? Was this actual power that was uh, being used by Simon? I, I want to suggest to you that it was probably some of both. No doubt there was a lot of presentation to, to Simon's magic. There was, there was a lot that he did to, to make sure people knew that this was him. It, it was not the simple miracles of the apostles where they, they speak a word and a man is healed. 
No doubt he, he did a lot to draw attention to himself. There was a, a lot of performance to it. But at the same time, it was almost certainly magic. It was almost certainly supernatural. Demonic power at work through this man. This was something that, that truly amazed the people. There was a reason they thought that he was God in the flesh. There's a reason that he, they thought he was uh, the, the power of God that is called great. There's a reason that they paid attention to him. There was real supernatural power at work in and through Simon. But of course that raises an important question. If, if Simon was doing real magic... If he, was, if he was actually doing these things in a supernatural way, then it raises a question of how the people were supposed to tell the difference between what Simon was doing and what Philip had done. Remember earlier we said that, that Philip's ministry in Samaria had been validated by signs and wonders. God had, had, had shown that Philip was a, a true minister of his gospel by, by working signs and wonders through him. But now we see this magician, this, this man named Simon, doing signs and wonders too. So what's the difference? How could the people tell the difference between Philip's miracles and Simon's magic? It's a good question. It's the right question. It's a question we should be asking. And I want you to know it's a question that the Scriptures anticipate that we will ask and that they actually answer ahead of time. From the very beginning, God told His people that He would validate His chosen instruments by signs and wonders. We've seen that several times in the course of our study of Acts. But we need to remember that he also told them at the same time, at the very beginning, he told them that signs and wonders alone were not enough to validate a person. The person who does signs and wonders must also be faithful to God's previous revelation. If a man comes doing signs and wonders, Moses says in Deuteronomy 13, if a man comes doing signs and, and wonders and entices you to go after another god, that is, if he, if he entices you to, to turn to the right or to the left from, from what God has previously revealed, from the, from the way that God has previously set before you, if he comes to you and he is not faithful to what God has, has previously told you about himself and how he would have you to live, that person is not to be believed. God is testing you, Moses says. His signs and wonders alone are not enough if he is not faithful to God's previous revelation. We see that faithfulness in Philip. What did Philip proclaim? Philip proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. He proclaimed Jesus as the promised Messiah, the, the, the promised Savior, as the one in whom God's promises from old, the promises made to, to Abraham and to, and to his descendants, the, the promises confirmed through Moses to the people of Israel. 
He proclaimed Jesus as the fulfillment of all that God had been doing in history up to that moment. He was not proclaiming something new. He was, he was not calling the people to, to turn to the right or to the left from what God had previously revealed. Rather, he was proclaiming the fulfillment of all that God had been doing throughout history with his people. But Simon is different. In fact, Simon is, is just the opposite. He does not proclaim Jesus as the Christ. He does not proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, but rather he claims that he himself is somebody great. He, he proclaims himself as the king. He proclaims himself as the one to whom they need to, to pay attention. He points everything to himself. And so he is not faithful. He is not pointing people to God. He, he is not walking in the, the footsteps of, of faith. But rather, he is establishing something new. He is establishing himself as the king. Philip's signs pointed people to God. Simon's magic pointed people to himself. And that's why Philip's signs and wonders ultimately led to great joy. Because they pointed to the God who is the refuge of sinners. They, they pointed to the God who can, who can save us from our guilt and can reconcile us to himself and can, and can promise us a new heavens and a new earth where Simon's magic produced merely amazement. And it is this difference, this, this difference between Simon's magic, which, which was all about him, and, and Philip's signs and wonders which pointed people to Jesus, it is this difference that prepares us to understand the difference between Simon's professed faith and true saving faith. This is what we see in the, the rest of the story. Luke tells us that the people who had previously been amazed by Simon believed Philip when he proclaimed the gospel and when he, when he preached to them the good news of the kingdom. They, they believed him and were baptized into Jesus' name. Even Simon himself, we are told, believed this gospel and was baptized. And then there's this interlude where the, the apostles hear about uh, the, the faith of the Samaritans and, and come to confirm the reports that they've heard. And when they, they get there, they find that the people have believed and they, they have been baptized, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. And that seems strange to us, and I understand, and we're going to come back to it next week. <laughs> all right, We're, we're going to spend all of next week talking about that interlude in this story. But this morning, our focus is going to be on Simon. And so just kind of pass over that and say, we're going to come back to it. I'm not ignoring it. We're, we're going to come back to it. But for now, our focus is on Simon. All right? And so the, the apostles have come. Uh, the, the, they find that the people have not received the Holy Spirit. And so they lay their hands on them and they pray for them. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Samaritans. And when Simon sees this, he is even further amazed. And notice what happens in verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He offered them money, not that he might receive the Holy Spirit. Presumably he had, he had received the Holy Spirit when the apostles had prayed for the Samaritans. But rather he was offering them money for the power and authority to dispense the Spirit to 
others. He, he wanted the same power that he saw in the apostles. He, he wanted this power to, to pour out the Spirit on those whom he touched, those whom he, upon whom he laid his hands. You, you can imagine why this was so intriguing to him. You can imagine why it was, it was so enticing to him. Here he saw an opportunity for great gain, most likely uh, material gain. He saw an opportunity to, to get rich. If you can give people the spirit, you can charge a lot of money for that. But even if it wasn't the material gain, at the very least, he wanted the prestige, he wanted the influence, he, he wanted the, the praise of the, of the people. He wanted to be paid attention to again, as uh, Sam was saying to the children. He saw in this a great opportunity for personal gain. And that tells us everything, does it not? What we see in this, what we see in Simon's offer to, to pay the apostles, what we see is that Simon's heart has not really changed. He is still acting out of selfish ambition. Previously, he had done magic. He, he, had, he had dabbled in the occult. He had, he had, he had uh, accessed demonic powers so that he could do amazing things before the people and have them pay attention to him, have them call him great, that he might draw their attention to himself. And now he is doing exactly the same thing. Now he is trying to leverage the power of God in Jesus Christ for his own selfish purposes. And we see Peter's response to, to Simon beginning in verse 20. Notice what he says. He doesn't mince words. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. May your silver perish with you. Again, think about what Peter is, is saying. Peter is suggesting that, that Simon is still destined to perish. The, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But remember, that gospel is preached to those who are perishing. Those who do not believe in the Son remain under condemnation. They remain under a sentence of death because that is man's natural condition in Adam. Since, that, since Adam's original sin, we have all been born under a death sentence. We have been all been born condemned to death, uh, subjected to futility. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be rescued from that sentence. It's only through, through Jesus Christ that, that we can pass from death into life. But here Peter is saying to Simon that you remain under a sentence of death. I know that you have professed faith, but your faith is not true. It is not a saving faith. And therefore, you remain under a sentence of death. And so may your silver perish with you. This seems to be what he means when he, when he says you have neither lot uh, nor uh, part in this matter. He may be simply talking about the work of the apostles at that point. The, uh, the, the work of the apostles in, in uh, distributing the, the Holy Spirit to, to the people. But, but it seems to be more than that. He, he seems to be talking about the work of the gospel itself. Because notice what he goes on to say. He says, your heart is not right before God. You do not stand before God justified. You do, you do not stand before God approved. Your heart is not right before Him. 
but rather you are still trapped in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. You're still trapped. You are still in the bond of your iniquity. The the cords that, that encompassed you and pulled you down into death have not yet been broken. Paul said to the Ephesians that that, that God, they had been rescued from wrath. That, that they had been under wrath like the rest of mankind, but now in Christ they had been set free. Peter is here telling Simon that he has not been set free. He is telling him that he is not saved. That he is still in the gall of bitterness under the, the bond of iniquity. And therefore Peter says to him that he must quickly repent and seek the forgiveness of God. Simon had believed. He had professed faith in Jesus' name. He had been baptized into that name. And presumably he had even received the Holy Spirit when when, uh, the, the Spirit was poured out on the Samaritans. But Peter makes it clear he is not saved. Now, that seems strange to you. I I understand. After all, this is Reformation Sunday, right? We've said that that salvation is by faith alone. It's it's one of the the truths that we we celebrate when we we celebrate the Reformation. If, If Simon had faith, how can he not be saved? How can more be required of him? If it's faith alone, doesn't Simon's faith have to be enough? Well, it is faith alone, we, we believe that, but, but the scriptures make it clear that there is a, a difference between true faith and false faith. There, there's a difference between a, a true profession and a, and a false profession. In fact, Jesus himself told us it would be this way. He said that there would be those who come to him saying, Lord, Lord. People who had actually served him in some ways, who had proclaimed the gospel. People who had even done signs and wonders in his name. And yet people whom he would cast away in the end because he would say, I never knew you. It's not that I knew you and and then you you fell away. Remember what we heard in our call to worship this morning. Jesus loses none of those given to him by the Father. But he says, I never knew you. Your faith was never true. It was never saving faith. There is such a thing as a false profession. There is such a thing as a false baptism. There are even false manifestations of the Spirit. God can can use unregenerate people to accomplish His purposes according to His will. There was a time when He spoke even through the mouth of a donkey. If He can use the the mouth of a donkey to to speak His word, surely He can do signs and wonders through whomever He chooses. But of course, this all raises that, that, that existential question, does it not? If there is such a thing as a false profession, if there, is, if there is such a thing as a false baptism, if there's even such a thing as a false manifestation of the Spirit, how do we know? How do we know the difference between true faith and, and false faith? Well, as I said previously, what we saw about, about Simon's signs and wonders about his magic and the difference between his magic and, and, and Philip's miracles... That distinction actually helps us here. Previously, Simon had used supernatural power to serve himself and to make himself seem great. 
And that's exactly what we see him doing here. Simon, yes, he was amazed by God's power at work in and through Philip. And he was even further amazed by God's power in and through the apostles. But he wanted to leverage God's power for his own purposes. He wanted to leverage God's power for his own purposes, just as he had previously leveraged demonic power for his own purposes. Philip, on the other hand, was a servant of Christ. Just as Stephen had been before him, just as the apostles were. They were servants of Christ. They had devoted their lives to to the promotion of His kingdom, to to the promotion of His glory, to the promotion of His name. Simon called himself great. Philip preached Jesus as the Christ and as the Lord. And that is the difference between true faith and, and false faith. True faith makes you a servant of the Lord. True faith acknowledges Jesus as the King. While false faith tries to make him into a genie. False faith tries to make Jesus serve you. False faith tries to leverage his power for your own purposes. And I think this this teaches us something important today. It means that seeing Jesus as powerful... Even seeing Jesus as God in human flesh. You you can believe that, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God come in human flesh and yet not have saving faith. You can see Jesus as God, as as powerful, and yet merely want to use him. Merely want to to find some way to, to, to bend his power to your will. You can see Jesus as a way of getting what you want. It's not you bowing to him as Lord. It's it's not you surrendering to him as your, your king. It's not you saying your will be done. But it is you, like Simon, saying here is a great power that I can use for my purposes. Saving faith is is fundamentally different. It's it's not merely an acknowledgement that Jesus is powerful. It is the acknowledgement that He is the rightful Lord and King, the only Savior of His people. Now, don't misunderstand. We are not saved by our obedience to the King. This is Reformation Sunday, after all, when we we celebrate that we are saved by grace alone, through through faith alone. We are not saved by our obedience. We, We cannot earn our salvation. We are saved by grace apart from works, but understand that we will not be saved without works. A faith that does not work, James says, is a dead faith, not a saving faith. A faith that does not express itself in love, in obedience to God's commands. A faith that does not work is a false faith. doesn't mean that our obedience must be perfect. Of course not. If that were the standard, we would all be without hope. But our faith must be sincere. We must sincerely acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord, and we must turn to Him from our sin. We must turn from our sin to Him. 
with the full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. You cannot have faith without repentance. You you cannot have, have a faith that does not turn to God and to Jesus as the Lord. You cannot have a faith that says, I want your power to get what I want out of this life and and hopefully out of of punishment in the age to come, but I'm going to do what I want in the meantime. I'm going to serve myself in the meantime. I'm going to follow my own selfish ambitions in the meantime. If you have not bowed the knee to Him as Lord, your faith is not a true and saving faith. That's what faith is. You can't separate Jesus as Savior from Jesus as as Lord because Jesus is the Lord. The one who is Savior is the Lord. And you must, to, to, to believe in Him is to bow the knee to Him. And that's exactly what Simon did not do. Simon still saw himself as Lord. He still saw himself as the Master. And he was trying to use Jesus for his purposes. And that's precisely what we must not do. And we've even sung it this morning. If we will lose our lives, if we will make ourselves his servants, then he will give us our heart's desires. In his service, we will find life and life abundant. But we must deny ourselves, renounce our own lordship, take up our crosses, and follow him. There is no true faith so long as we are clinging to our lives and clinging to the right to do our own thing. And so, if you are trying to use God to get what you want, then Peter says to you this morning, you are still in the gall of bitterness. You must repent and ask for forgiveness. That's actually exactly what he he tells Simon to do. But notice Simon's response is ambiguous at best. He asks Peter to pray for him rather than praying for himself. And and he seems to focus exclusively on escaping the judgment. May these things never happen to me, rather than to confessing Christ as his Lord. His his response is is ambiguous as best, and so we're not sure what becomes of, of Simon here. May our response to Peter's call not be so ambiguous. If you have been trying to use God, repent and ask forgiveness and receive and rest upon Him as Lord and Savior even this morning. And if you have done this before, if this is, if this is something that you have done you know, before you can even remember that, that you, you have known Jesus Christ to be Lord, but of late you have been sort of drifting in a direction where, where you were more concerned about yourself than about Him, more concerned about, about your own interests than, than His glory then this is a chance to to repent. God knows our obedience will not be perfect. He knows that we will continue to to wage war against the the false desires of our flesh. But even today, if you are are a believer, you are being called to renew your repentance, to, to renew your commitment to Jesus as Lord. Jesus told us that we would have to do that every day for the rest of our lives. So it's not just for unbelievers, it's not just for those who have not yet been saved, but for all of us, we are being called this morning to repent and turn afresh to Jesus Christ as Lord. And whether you're doing it for the first time or the thousandth time, the promise is the same. If you will 
deny yourself, if you will renounce your own lordship over your life and bow to him as Lord, then you will be saved. That is the promise of the gospel. Jesus loses none of those who call upon him. If you will turn to him in faith, even this morning, you will not perish, but will have eternal life. And because this glorious gospel is not only for sorcerers like Simon, but for sinners like us, that's one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you humbly acknowledging that you are the Lord and that we are your servants and that in your service, Father, we find true and abundant life. Father God, may we not seek to use you, but may we devote ourselves to you to be used for the glory of your name and the advance of your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.